It's such a delight for me to be here with you today. And I thank you. Thanks for the opportunity to share with you. And thanks for you know, giving me that opportunity to really dig in deep to this chapter, too. Because uh, that's always the extra blessing when you get to teach, is that you find yourself asking all the questions that, oh, I wonder if they'll think about this, or I wonder if this. So you just dig in deeper and deeper. As I think about um, last week, I really want to thank Carrie for the wonderful insights that she brought up. And there are two things that really stood out to me that I don't know if they did to you, but one in particular was that as she talked about the qualities that we would look for in our leadership, uh, she emphasized that remember those qualities are those which are being developed in us all the time as we grow, not only in our leaders, but in us too. And that the focus is not necessarily on just good behavior, but on running to Jesus, getting close to him, keeping our eyes on him. And as we commune with him, letting his word go into us, abiding in him and letting his word abide in us, then our behavior changes. And so the focus is not behavior as much as it is Jesus. And the other thing I really loved was the picture she gave of stretching out, like that little child reaching out for the cookie. <laughs> that, and what I loved the way she presented that is she said, those who stretch out to want to bring people to Jesus is an honorable thing. And the reason I appreciated that perspective on it is because the position is honorable. But if that's why you're reaching for it, for the honor, then that's not what Paul is talking about. You know, in our travels with our mission, we go to many different cultures, and that's actually a problem in some of the third world co countries, or developing nation countries, is that they, uh, people, men and women, want this position for the honor, for the power, and the control. That is not what Paul is talking about when he says the position is honorable. So I love the perspective, longing to reach out to bring people to Jesus, longing to reach out to teach people more about Jesus. That's what's right. As a matter of fact, that is um, in contrast to the false teachers, which Paul immediately starts with in chapter 4. So take a look at that. He says, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. You see, it's interesting when you begin to look in these four little verses, Paul really <laughs> has a scathing report for these guys who are drawing people away. And it's interesting because, again, they would be the ones looking for the power position. They would be the ones looking to control. What's interesting is you look at these, the description of these guys, I just kind of uh, highlighted it by saying, well, let's just see, what, how did he refer to them? He called them energized by Satan, apostates, hypocrites, liars, deadened consciences, 
deniers of God's word, specifically on food and on marriage. They were calling bad things that God had called good. He says the very first phrase there, which I think is interesting, that the Spirit expressly says. I'm not exactly sure, commentators aren't sure exactly what Paul means, but I, I want to take you back to a time years earlier when Paul, in Acts chapter 20, verse 28 through 31, Paul was actually talking to the Ephesian elders at that time. He had been with them three years. He'd planted this church. He'd been, well, this is what he says. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. The Spirit obviously gave that to Paul at that time, saying that, you know what, and this was, some commentators say it might have been ten years later that this was happening in the church of Ephesus, but Paul said it's going to happen. I know it's going to happen, so be alert. So here we are, and he's writing this letter, and it's like, okay. It's happened. It's there. You know, that's one of the signs. I wanted to draw attention to just one thing that Paul said there in Acts 20. He said, these fierce wolves will arise from among you. Wow, could he have been talking to those very elders? That will say twisted things to draw the disciples after them. You know, that's kind of one of the signs of, um, of a cult or legalism. Our goal is that we would be leading people to Jesus. Our leaders are longing for you to follow hard after Jesus, not after them. We obviously, and later Paul says, be a good example. And there are times where Paul has said, you know, follow my example. But ultimately, what is our longing for each other? For Jesus, to grow in our discipleship of him, to follow him, a cult leader is going to have you want to follow him or her or their organization or the rules or the agenda. And that's where you have to stop a minute and say, oh, just a minute. What's the end game here? Is it Jesus? Is it our walk with him? Or is it to fit into what you have proposed, your rules, your structure? That's just something to be very aware of as we look at that. You know, um, another thing that I thought was kind of interesting is that the question comes up, well, were they believers who walked away? Are we talking about losing your salvation? And I think we need to always remember that Scripture is its best commentary on itself. And all of, the, all of Scripture is very clear that once you are born again, you cannot be unborn. All of Scripture states that you, it's his work of salvation, that what he began, he will finish. But Scripture is also very clear, especially in the epistles of John, that if there is no fruit, or if there is something that is in direct contrast to what God has laid out for his people and, and what a Christian should be looking like, then that's a time when you need to step back and say, hmm, I wonder if I really did make a real decision. I wonder if that was true. 
because I want to again refer you to another scripture where Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 11.9. He said to the Corinthians there, for he said, there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. So it's almost, it's interesting, the sovereign Lord has allowed for controversies to come up because why? It's a proving ground for who are genuine believers or not. And, you know, I said on Monday night, we have to be very careful about making judgment calls on motives because I know of one couple that got involved in a cult. They were believers. They got swept into this cult, and they were there for five years before God opened their eyes to what was happening. And then they were like, oh, oh my goodness, this isn't, this isn't biblical. And they came back to the word and to walking in their Christian faith. So all I know is that, again, when we look, the Lord, again, has always said, your fruit, your fruit is, is, is what will reveal the heart, how you live. So the call constantly, as we see throughout uh, Timothy here, is not only to teach the word, but to live it. That your life, you're practicing what you know. That is going to be an encouragement, but also an um, a proclamation of your faith. It's going to be an evidence of your faith. So these guys, he just comes right out and pretty well says, okay, this is them. So what do you do about it? And right away Paul says, put these things before the brothers. So he is saying that when you see error being taught, or if you're hearing it, call it out. You know, we have in this particular time in, in our, there's so many deviations from the word, you can't possibly stay on top of them all. But one thing that's really prevalent around the world, not only in our country, but around the world, is um, this health and wealth uh, teaching. That if you're a Christian, God's going to bring health to you and wealth, and it's all going to be blessings and great healing, all of that. And if it's not there, it's because, you know, um, something's wrong in your life and in your faith with God. That is just not biblical. It has never been presented, not only in Jesus' life as he lived it, but in all of Scripture, suffering is a part of the Christian walk. That is actually to be treated as a gift to us. As much as we think of all these other blessings, we forget that the blessing is Jesus himself with us, throughout all the mess. In this world, you will have tribulation. <laughs> and we'll see later on, too. It's like, if you're righteous, you will suffer. So we have this mindset that somehow suffering is wrong, and the Lord is saying, no, no, you, you don't understand. It's a part of your Christian walk. It's part of what I lived. And you know what? In James, he says, embrace it, because you know what? Through it all, you'll grow in this. So it's very interesting that we have some of these false teachings out there that are being taught by very popular speakers. And we have to be able to stop and say, I don't know where that man or woman stands with God. That's between them and the Lord. But that is wrong teaching. You have to call out the teaching that is wrong. And that's what he says. He says, put these things before the brothers. You'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and the good doctrine that you have followed. And then he proceeds to say, what's the best way to handle this kind of false teaching. First of all, call it out. But secondly, stand firm in the truth. Train yourself in this. Get to immerse yourself. As a matter of fact, it's really interesting looking at um, 
I was writing it down earlier. How many verbs Paul used in talking about the word? He said, be trained in the word, command and teach it, read it aloud, exhort and encourage people with it, teach it, practice it, immerse yourself in it, keep a close watch on it, and persist in it. <laughs> Just in case we didn't, we, we, we missed something, you know, he wanted us to get it down straight. That is the answer to dealing. We don't focus on the false, but we focus on what's true. You guys remember the old illustration about how a bank teller can recognize counterfeit money, right? They learn what is the real money. They spend all their time studying what, what the real money looks like. So that when something off comes in, they may not know exactly why it's off, but they recognize something. So it'll be a red flag. And they take it over and say, that needs to be looked at. That's what the Lord is saying to us. Know the truth. Know the word. Immerse yourself in it. Live it out. Let it be such a part that there may be a time when you're sitting and listening to something and it just doesn't seem right. And you're thinking, I don't know why. I don't know exactly what's wrong. I knew this brand new Christian who had come to know the Lord and lived in a different city. And I remember her talking to me and she said, so I went to church last week. And I said, really? And she said, yeah. But she said, you know, I was listening. And she said, something didn't seem right about it. I said, really? She said, yeah, I, I don't even know what it was, but there was something inside of me that said this isn't right. And so as we pursued it further, sure enough, it was false teaching. But I loved it how the Lord, as our spirit, as our friend, as our teacher, he, even with this brand new Christian, stirred up something and said, mm -mm, that doesn't sound consistent with what I know about God, what little I know about him. So there is... Um, great encouragement to us in this passage and to Paul, Paul, that Paul writes to Timothy. He said, don't, have, don't, don't spend all your time arguing about silly old wives' tales and godless thoughts. Just don't spend your time there. Focus in. And then he goes right into the next trustworthy saying. You know what it is, don't you? He said, instead of spending your time on all the silly stuff that doesn't matter or spending too much time trying to figure out where people are, are getting off. He said, rather, train yourselves for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and for the life to come. And then he said, this is it. This is a trustworthy say saying worthy of all acceptance. He's not negating bodily exercise, by the way. <laughs> He's just saying it's important, but you know what? It's not all important. And we have, some people will, will tend to go to extremes. There'll be those that will say, oh, yay, this says I don't have to exercise. <laughs> and then there are others who kind of in their heart, they know they've been spending a lot of time in that area of their life. And it's actually at the expense of the time that they've spent in the Word. So you know where the Lord is speaking to you about this. But what I thought... I'd like to do today. It was part of, um, it was one of your optional questions, but I thought to myself, well, what are some godly, what are some exercises that we can do? You know, in the physical realm, people will do different exercises for different muscles of the body. Well, it's so interesting because there are disciplines in the Christian life and exercises, if you will, but it's all for one body part, the heart. This is to train us up to be looking to Jesus, to be growing in him, in godliness, becoming more and more like Jesus. So what are 
some of these exercises, if you will. It's a regimen, but it's not something that is a legalistic having to follow, but these are things that are really essential for you to grow in your Christian life. Well, first one's not going to be a big surprise to you because it's something Sean spoke on in chapter 2. Prayer. It's huge. Prayer. And I'm not talking just about the grocery list prayer (laughs) where we do all the talking to God, but making space, creating space in your prayer time for God to speak to you. Many times it's as you open the word and ask him to speak into your heart, to tell you what's on his heart for you, that he will bring that to mind. You'll be reading and there'll be just that which comes to you and you think, okay, this is it. Especially, I don't know about you, but I like to, I'm reading through the Bible in a year, so I have a a schedule, if you will, but then I also have a little devotional on the side, and I love it when the two come together and dovetail. Then it's like, oh, I get it. (laughs) The other day I was listening, and it just seemed like everything the Lord was pointing to was humility, 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 just bringing the saying and calling you to know what does that look like, And, and just a reminder of thankfulness that he is everything. It is all about him. It's not about us. And it's, so I just encourage you, as you go to prayer, I was talking to Kathy this morning, and it made me think of an illustration one. You know, Romans 8, 26 tells us that the Holy Spirit is praying for us, right? And then also in Romans 8, we find out that Jesus Christ is interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. We have two persons of the Godhead who are praying for us. But have you ever stopped sometimes when you're in the midst of of praying and thought, Lord, I'm praying for my daughter here right now. How are you praying for her? Because once I got off a phone call with a a missionary, and they were in a very distressed situation, and I remember being so distressed with her and thinking, Lord, how do we fix this? And so clearly I heard the Spirit say to me, Georgie, Why are you trying to fix something that I have chosen not to fix? I am the fixer. I am the savior. I can do it. And there was just that whole sense of, of course. And you're choosing not to. So maybe I need to stop and say, Lord, how should I be praying for her? What are you trying to do in her life? I know both of us want it to be over, but obviously there's something that you want to do there in the midst of this trial. So slow down. Let prayer become that precious time with you. Don't hurry through it. Make some time for it. Whatever you do, make space for God to speak to you. Meditation and reflection in the Word. Now, when we say meditation, you know, I'm not talking about any New Age stuff. It's, that, it's the picture in Scripture when, when Joshua talks about it, meditate in the, in the Word. He said, it, it's the picture of a cow chewing her cud. You know that illustration? with all their seven stomachs and the cud keeps coming up and they chew again and again. It's quite gross, but the reality is it's kind of that same thought of taking the word, what God gives to you in the morning or whatever time you have, keep bringing it back and maybe write it out in a card, set it on the kitchen sink, memorize it, talk about it, say it out loud what God is speaking to you, but keep the word, the word is absolutely central. central to our walking and growing in faith. Another discipline is that of self-examination. 
Uh, that kind of comes along with, um, with prayer, when we're talking to God and bring in confession. But I really, I know that the, the word that was given to you is self-examination, but I really would change that to let God do this examination, God examination, if you will. But as you come before him and you confess your sins, ask him to search your heart. You know the scripture I'm thinking of, don't you? Remember Psalm 139, 23, and 24? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Again, you need time. I know for many of us, we're at a different stage in our life where we have more time. There's a few out there <laughs> with young children who are like, I don't know when I'll ever have that kind of time. It does come back to you. <laughs> you will have it again. And it, I, I know I talked to one missionary young lady, and she was saying that what she would do is she would put her Bible out, and she'd read a passage, and then she'd just leave it open throughout the day on her kitchen counter. And several times when she had a moment, when she was holding the baby or whatever, she'd just go and go look again at it and just let it come back to her. <laughs> Running, doing the things, come back again. And yeah, reread that passage. And you'll find at this season in your life what works, but don't neglect the exercise. Because to do that is to get your muscles to atrophy. Worship. You know, weren't you just so ministered today by Pastor Chris and the worship? We don't have to be great singers, but to put on the worship music, to maybe open an old hymn book or chorus book and reread the but let worship be a, a real part of your life. Another one that I would say that's so important that we often um, minimize, and that's fellowship. You know, Hebrews 10.25 says, don't neglect coming together. That's the time there's corporate worship, but you're coming together, sitting under the teaching. That's a very important time for you to um, be encouraged from the word and also to develop community. These are really important things for, for building into your life resilience. The other couple that I'll mention real quickly are service. In other words, you're taking in, but you know what happens when you just take in, take in, and don't give out. You get a dead sea. <laughs> and that will cause for deadened consciences, too. Because you're taking in, and if you're not acting on it, use your gift. We'll talk further about that, because Paul has, speaks twice to Timothy about, don't neglect that gift of yours that you have, that God's given to you for the building up of the body. And later he says it again, stir it up. That's for us, too. Knowing what your gifts are oftentimes are found out while you're serving. In other words, you can study the books and look at 1 Corinthians 12 and others, but you know what? You discover them while you actually get involved, find out where the joy is, where God is giving you effectiveness, and then sometimes you go back and you read the books and you go, oh, that's it. That's my gift or gifts. And then, of course, I have to say this one because this is so important right now, and it's something we all kind of skirt away from. An important exercise that needs to be a part of our lives is sharing our faith. We all have different personalities. We have different areas of influence. And so it's not a specific way to do it, but it's asking the Lord daily, how do I, Lord, give me an opportunity 
then open my eyes to that opportunity and then open my mouth <laughs> to actually speak the truth. And I've got to tell you, there's a, a survey, I won't go into it much detail now because of time, but there was just a survey done by George Barna, and it's really a kind of, I was really surprised. But they uh, surveyed a thousand active Christians, millennials, 20 to 35. And they all think their faith is very important to them. They actually said 95% of them said they were very well equipped to share their faith. And 47% said, we think it's wrong to share our faith. Because you see, they've grown up in a culture that says if you disagree, you judge. So they think it's wrong to share their faith with somebody who has a different faith or has a different belief. And you're like, what? how did this happen? So this is why it has to be a part. It's an important part of our growing and communicating that to a younger generation and say, you can disagree. You can agree to disagree. Sharing our faith is not trying to convert anybody. In Nepal, they have an anti-conversion law. You can't convert anybody. Just passed last year. But our missionaries there said, we don't convert anybody. God does that. <laughs> we just tell them the good news. And if their heart is open, they respond. That's what a witness is. You tell your story, you tell his story. And then God does that work of converting. So because we haven't got a lot of time here, I just want to end off with, I know you're going to talk a little bit about what it means where Paul says, I toil and struggle. Why do we do this? It's because of our hope in a living God who offers salvation to the world. Will the world all accept his gift? No. But it's there for everyone. It's a universal message. Not universal salvation, but universal message. What will it look like? Perfect? A fit Christian? No. Not until we get to heaven. <laughs> but he does say to Timothy, you know what? Command it and speak it out. And don't be ashamed of your youth or even of your you're working through these things, but be an example. And I love what he says. These co this covers it all in your words, your lifestyle, your love, your faith, and your purity. Will you be perfect? No. But be an example and let them see your progress as you grow. I think back to um, Paul as he talks to at the, the end, and he says, you know what, you're going to actually, if you keep this, keep all of this in front of of your um, parishioners, the people who are listening to you as you're teaching it. He said, they're not only going to see your life and your growth and the reality of that, but he said, you're going to keep them. You're going to, and I think what, what he's saying here, persist in this so for, for so by, by so doing, you will save your, both yourself and your hearers. It takes you back to that false teaching at the very beginning of the um, chapter. If you want to protect these disciples from being pulled away, Teach the word. Keep it there before you. Sing it. Pray it. Do what you need to do to keep the word very much a part of your prayers, your worship, your life. And the Lord will use that to re instill resilience in you, to grow you strong, so that when the hard times do come, there is already a, a strength there. There's already a fit Christian who's able to stand with him against the tide. Thanks. Hope you enjoy your group together, time together. <laughs>